And for our final segment this evening, as war continues to rage in Ukraine, we share one person's fascinating story of coming of age in the Ukrainian-American diaspora. As a child, Christina Zavarucha traveled on Saturday mornings to the East Village's Little Ukraine District to immerse in her family's old world language and culture. Over the decades, her relationship to that culture became more complicated. One thing she was sure of until this past Thursday, as she, as she writes in a story she has up on the independent.org website, is that Ukraine would always be there. Joining us now to share her personal story uh, uh, of her relationship with her family's homeland is Christina Zavarucha. She's a former New York City public school teacher who now runs a community agriculture project in Binghamton, New York. She's also a former indie intern from back in the day and an incredibly gifted singer of Ukrainian folk songs, which she will share with us a little later. Christina, welcome to WBAI. Hi, John. Thank you so much for, for welcoming me. I'm really excited to share my culture, but also very sad to be doing it under these circumstances. Yes, um, and and before we uh, get into that story, just uh, first of all, uh, you know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is now in its sixth day. And, and your, I guess, just personal gut level reaction to watching everything that's happening, the, the bombardments of the cities, the exodus mm-hmm. of refugees, and the fierce resistance that's also being mounted by your fellow Ukrainians in the face of overwhelming odds? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's been a roller coaster um, for Ukrainians all over the world. Um, you know, as I, as you mentioned in my, in that story that I wrote, you know, when I was a kid growing up, um, you know, I came from a country that didn't exist. Um, it was being controlled by the Soviet Union and many of the immigrants who came here came here um, because the Ukrainian culture was being suppressed. People were not allowed to speak Ukrainian in public um, or publish in Ukrainian. Um, so the diaspora that came here still has very strong ties to Ukraine. When I see what's happening there, you know, there are just moments of intense despair that this country that we fought so hard to establish is now in t- huge danger. And then there are other moments of just great pride. <laughs> like, I really feel like Ukrainians are handling this with class and that we're standing up for, for our country and for our, our right to exist. And, um, you know, so I'm just going back and forth between um, being very heartbroken, um, but also very um, just feeling a great deal of inspiration. And one thing that has really helped me is the outpouring of support and love that has come from people. You know, I was just feeling incredibly confused and I couldn't really express the feeling of grief and loss that I was feeling on Thursday morning. And I was lucky. I'm actually, I'm a high school teacher. I teach English as a new language up in Johnson City, New York, uh, right outside of Binghamton. And I work with immigrants from all over the world. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't articulate. Like I actually felt I had to step out and, and take take a minute and, and cry. And I just couldn't articulate everything that was going on. So we were lucky to have a snow day on Friday. And that's when I just poured my heart out on the computer, wrote down how I was feeling and, um, you know, wound up actually coming up with this terrific story. Um, but so many people, the outpouring from people has been um, 
it's given me a lot of hope and I'm really grateful for all the support. Right. And this first person piece that you wrote covers your 30 years plus interaction with Ukrainian culture and the roller coaster ride that that's been. Take us back to the beginning of your grade school days in the late 80s when your mom would drive you in from the suburbs on Saturday mornings to the old neighborhood in the East Village for special Ukrainian classes. Tell us about what you would do and what it was like to be in that milieu. Well, um, so first of all, like most most Ukrainian, like most English language learners in the United States um, are actually born in the United States to native language speaking parents. And so just like many English language learners today, I grew up speaking Ukrainian almost exclusively at home. Um, and so every single Saturday when all my friends were watching, all my American friends were watching cartoons, uh, Saturday morning cartoons on TV, my parents Maybe would wake do. us up at the crack of dawn drive us across the George Washington Bridge. And, um, you know, basically we'd go to Ukraina's Nausva, which is Ukrainian school at St. George's, which is on East 7th Street in the East Village. And we'd go there from about nine to one. And when we would go, we would have different classes. Some would be um, entirely in Ukrainian. We'd have, you know, history and we'd have literature. We'd have art history. And we also had music. And I had a really terrific um, music teacher, Panya Olenech, and it was like nothing fancy, right? She had a little cheesy kind of Casio keyboard, and she would teach us all these songs. And she was somebody who from, you know, saw some some talent in me. She thought that I could sing, and um, she taught me some really incredible songs, um, and then after after Ukrainian school, we'd go to Ukrainian Scouts, which is on Ninth Street. If you know where Veselka is, on the second floor of Veselka is uh, PLOST, which is the Ukrainian Scouting Organization. It's an international organization for the Ukrainian diaspora. And um, I would go there and I would learn, you know, I feel like my love of nature, my love of music, my love for justice um, I learned that first in Ukrainian, not in English. Um, and, and it was kind of like a way, you know, to help, to help me kind of navigate through the world. Um, the, um, and I'd go from Ukrainian scouts um, to my grandparents' house where we have some borscht or some, you know, chicken hearts or other kind of traditional Ukrainian foods. And then I'd go from there uh, a little bit uptown to Ukrainian dancing. And, and I just want to reiterate, I'm just one of many, many Ukrainian Americans, right? So my experience is just, just one person's experience. And there are people that are much more immersed than I am in the Ukrainian culture. And then there are people that have much looser ties to their Ukrainian culture. Um, sure. But it was a huge part of my experience. And at the time, you know, as, you know, as this kind of, I guess people call it a third culture, right? I'm not an immigrant, but I'm not completely an American. I'm a Ukrainian American. And so I was kind of on this edge between Ukraine and here. And uh, I definitely kind of had a hard time in American school. Um, you know, my culture was different. The foods that we ate were different. My last name, Zavrucha, is unpronounceable and, you know, very difficult to spell. Um, but at the time, it kind of felt like you know, I had this other alternative universe that I could kind of dip into. And anytime I've dipped into that culture, um, it's been incredibly powerful. 
Right. And now you write in your article that uh, as you got older, as I guess you became a teenager and went to college, uh, that uh, some of that unconditional love you once felt for Ukrainian culture uh, uh, changed. Uh, uh, can you talk about uh, why that was? Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, I think that, you know, I have a lot of love for my culture, but, you know, even with cultures that you love, there are things that need to grow and change. And um, at the time, you know, I actually I won a scholarship and wound up going to India for a month when I was 16 years old and got exposed to, you know, um, people who were Muslim, people who were Hindu, people who had completely different ways of seeing the world, um, you know, and I kind of came back um, even more open and interested in other kinds of cultures And, you know, there were things that made me, you know, I kind of like heard not so much from my family, but from other families, um, pretty casual homophobic or anti-Semitic comments that I did not agree with. And, um, you know, I would say something about it and people say, you know, don't, don't be so serious. It's just a joke kind of thing. And I was like, well, it's not a joke to me. You know, I have, I have Jewish, you know, I was like, you don't even have any Jewish friends. You don't even have anybody, you know, and I was 16 years old, you know, so I kind of felt rejected by my own culture as well. And I was like, you know what, there's a big bright world out there and I'm going to go experience it and explore it. Um, and so I kind of went completely the other way. And you have to realize that the Ukrainians, you know, we were oppressed under the Soviet Union. There was the Holodomid in you know, the, the 1930s where Stalin created an artificial famine and basically killed seven to eight, 10 million Ukrainians um, by forcing them to collectivize and um, removing their food supplies. And so many Ukrainians that came here, you know, they very understandably rejected, they became very conservative, very pro-religion to generalize, you know, more pro-religion, um, very critical of, of socialist and communist views. Um, and you have to understand where that comes from. Right. So, and, and you know, I think, um, I can definitely relate to growing up, uh, with a culture that feels like home. Um, but you're growing up in, uh, maybe a, a country that's more socially democratic and it arises these questions. Um, mm-hmm. but, but later as an adult, you decided to reconnect with Ukrainian culture in a way that worked for you and what did reflect your values. So I'm going to read a short passage from your article and you can comment on it further afterwards. Mm-hmm. A family member approached me for help maintaining a rustic bungalow at a Ukrainian camp in Pennsylvania. I re-engaged with my Ukrainian culture, but on my own terms. I brought my gay best friend, Jewish then boyfriend, and Black and Asian friends to spend time with me at the camp. I even wore my Black Lives Matter hat to church a few times. People were welcoming or at least willing to have the conversation. The culture is shifting. So comment on that and then why you wore that shirt to uh, a BLM shirt to your, your, your Ukrainian church. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so let me kind of, you know, I think that my love of Ukrainian culture is what helps me love and feel passionate about other cultures. You know, so I minored in Arabic in college. Um, I've since made a career of working at the intersection of organic agriculture and um 
second language acquisition and literacy development. So I've worked a lot with immigrants and refugees and preliterate smallholder farmers, um, helping people read, write, and grow food at the same time. That's that's kind of my passion project. Um, you know, and, and the thing is that I always tell my students that, you know, <laughs> you want to make changes in your community. Go back into your community and make the change there that you want to see. And so I realized that if there were changes that I wanted to see, you know, I'd have to go back to my own community, um, you know, and change doesn't happen overnight. And I think that the more that people kind of interact with each other and have these conversations, that's how the culture begins to shift. And, you know, I'll be honest, you know, I, I you know, when I, when I wore my BLM hat to church, you know, I was kind of thinking like, well, you know, what is the what is the one white space that I'm a part of? Well, that that's it. That's the community that I need to start these conversations with. And while in the beginning it was very awkward, um, I did have several people approach me one on one to start having conversations um, that needed to happen. You know, so and what I've always been afraid of is that, you know, maybe my my own culture might reject me, but that's never actually happened you know, people still welcome me. I'm still part of that community, um, even though, you know, my my views are different. And, you know, there are people now um, whose sons have, you know, uh, you know, people people with, with gay marriages in the community. Um, I think that there's a lot more marriage between different cultures. And the thing is that Ukraine itself, I would say in general, is maybe more progressive than some of the community that came over here. Right. If that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. The world is changing uh, in, mm-hmm. in some ways for the better, for sure. Uh, so uh, we, we have to wrap up here in, in a moment. Um, you know, uh, for our audience, uh, uh, Christina was in uh, Lviv, uh, Ukraine, one of the major cities in, in the country in 2014 when there was a democratic uprising uh, to replace uh, a corrupt president, uh, set in motion some of the things that led to the current conflict. And so you were there uh, during that, and uh, we we have to go in a minute. And I, I want to thank uh, uh, everybody who helped with the show, including uh, Re- uh, Reggie Johnson, our board operator. But a- as we uh, depart today, uh, can you sing uh, for us the the song you sang in the Central Plaza uh, with your fellow Ukrainians, many of whom had did did not know these songs existed because of the language suppression there? And I understand this is a, a song about freedom. Hmm. So yeah, I was um I was there for a permaculture convergence and we, um, we've got it we got to like uh, kind of okay s- yeah I'm sorry it took so long there was so many other things that I wanted to say but um I'll go ahead and sing so okay. it goes um all right take it away Christina and and then we'll fade out here okay <laughs> Bidnenka ležala i plakala si. I hlopić po mihi poljipši laptašok zabula jo. Poletila me s njim. Ptašok, ne zrozumil, 
що співали вітри, що воляться на пісня всі пташок і так ми кохані я теж мушу жити що воля це народна пісня всі пташок і так ми кохані я теж мушу жити